welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey. She's for Yarn Rose Woman and this is Inside Exec. Today we have a guest with us, so that's Nancy Giordano. Nancy joins us from Texas. So good evening, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's very, very hot here, but uh, good to be with you. Well, we won't talk about temperatures because I keep looking down at the temperature here and I thought, well, we're not going to get frost this morning, but it'll be close. It is funny to see the wardrobe difference when you get to have these conversations with people around the world and where we all are at the moment. (laughs) Nancy is a futurist, and I think that that's going to be a fascinating conversation for us to have, given that we've got so many people who are rethinking the way they approach their work and the way they approach management and their teams and, and their organisations. So we might ask at the, the very outset, Nancy, just tell us a bit about what it is you're doing and how you're thinking. Big question. But uh, the way I describe it actually is strategic futurist because as you know, talk to more people who are in the foresight world and more and more growing into that field, which is phenomenal. I feel like it should be on every board and in every leadership team. There should be a resident futurist that's part of it. But that can span from being, again, a foresight professional who spends a lot of time thinking about the statistics or building scenarios to you know, more on my end, which is that I am trying to help organizations and teams and leaders and enterprises better sense and respond to the changes that are happening. And I've been doing that for a long time. And what we realized is most people were only looking very myopically at the information right in front of them and not seeing how it connected to other information, right? That was adjacent on either side, but then also not looking far out about how things were shifting, what those trajectories were. The challenge now is that it's happening so much faster And so there's really an imperative at this moment to really think about that we should all be futurists in some way in our work. It is about where we start today, but it is about really being thoughtful and intentional about where we want to end up. In the research that we did, Juliana specifically had a question in that area, so we might throw it to her. I was interested in your thoughts about, you talk about the silos and the interdependencies, and you used an example which resonated with me, which was the entertainment and education. Can you please tell us a bit more about that? Well, I mean, I think, again, that thinking has been going on for decades now is that we realize that these things are not discrete from one another, right? Medicine is not just, you know, separated from, even from gamification at this point, yeah. because we're going to try and encourage people to take better care of themselves. What are ways that we can do that better? So there's been more and more of this crossover and that's where TED, the TED conferences came from. They recognized mm-hmm. in the mid eighties, right? The technology, entertainment, and design all actually were impacting each other. And we could come and just share more about each other's work. We'd be able to become better at it and understand the, the opportunities to, to cross uh, integrate our thinking. But over time, right, TED grew beyond those disciplines. Everything else has grown beyond those disciplines. And so the key, again, is, I think, to be more curious about what is over here and what can lend um, new insight to us over there. And part of what I do coach and encourage people to do is really develop their own curiosity, because what Kim is curious about is different than what I'm curious about, even if we have the same job, but that's great because she brings in this whole other piece of thinking to it. And I bring that whole other piece of thinking to it. And that actually enriches the potential and you know everything from innovation to making sure things stay safe. So I just think getting out of these uh, very narrow ways of thinking, mm-hmm. I will also say it becomes then now again imperative because as you move into the land of things like artificial intelligence, all these organizations that have been built with silos that were designed to keep us safe, decided that things shouldn't touch each other because then they would contaminate or, or mm-hmm. confuse or somehow make things less efficient is actually now becoming a much more risky strategy. It was designed to keep us safe and now is the thing that makes us less safe and more vulnerable because we need information that crosses the boundaries, right? We need to build ecosystems inside and outside of our organizations that allow us to be able to respond more quickly. So I think that, you know, silos are on their way out and uh, integration and 
coordination and ecosystems are what we are spending a lot more time building. So what you're saying is you're encouraging leaders to think differently, to be more curious and to think bigger. And now we've got more things to think about and walk away from the old ways and think forward. Yeah, so I'll just sort of step back for a second and say there's a couple of ways that we can look at this, right? First, we can describe where we are in the timeline of business. And people like to talk about that we're heading into the fourth industrial revolution. And I think that's actually a big misnomer. I think we're out of the industrial era and we're moving much more into whether you call it the digital era or whatever, I call it the productivity era. We will be exponentially able to do things differently in an era that is digital first than we were ever able to do in an industrial era. So that requires just a whole different way of processing and thinking. This is where I talk about risk and the fact that most of the processes that we built to keep us safe were industrial processes that when we take them into this productivity revolution now, make us more vulnerable. Silos is one example. Hierarchies is another example. Thinking really small and incremental is another example, right? These were things that worked well when we had a slow paced linear uh, growth rate. And now that's not where we are. We're in a much more exponential, much faster, uh, much more, again, integrated way of thinking. So I do think we just need to approach all of this very differently than we have in the past. The other way I think about it is that our work has much more implication than it had. Like it, you know, it used to be just us as professionals. Now we think of us as also humans, you know, that we think yes. about talent differently, but we're also members of society. We're being increasingly asked to consider our actions from that lens. And so that holds a tremendous amount of responsibility, but also creates a tremendous moment of impact. When you recognize that what you're creating for is not just for the next quarter's earnings, but what you're really trying to do is create sustainable value over decades, if not generations, right? It's also across time. So yeah. that's where the work has become so much more interesting as we recognize its potential over a much greater field. You talked about TED happening in the 80s. And for Fulana and I, in the 80s, we were involved in a construction organization, basically. And at that stage, they had... Um, a new idea, which was multidisciplinary teams, so that the so that a design team came in with engineers, architects, quality surveyors, drafting people, all in the one team, and it was very, very different at that stage. So that was the eighties as well. We could talk about that being a generation now. We can, but about you, but we, Fiona <laughs> and I can. Do you see that that's been a generational change in thinking about how we work together? I think it's, that was very actually very forward thinking at the time. Because what we're seeing is more of a return to that. Because what I saw more was, another thing is probably more in the 90s, but late 80s, early 90s, early 2000s, this really drive to efficiency where we didn't want things to be integrated. And we pulled things mm. apart. And we're like, you're going to be the specialist over here. And we're going to waterfall it to this person. We're going to waterfall it to that person. We're going to waterfall it to this person. And then we have different P&Ls. You know, the, the whole thing became much more broken into pieces because we thought that that was a much more efficient way to do it. And uh, also, you know, prevented then culpability in the sense of, well, that was their problem, not that was their problem, not my problem, right? We didn't want to take responsibility for everyone yeah. else's work. Because I remember that, actually, I worked in advertising at the time, and we had this whole campaign around orchestration with all the different disciplines. And it was really hard to get mm. people to think that way and to share responsibility and all mm. that. Um, what's interesting is that in the, in the book that I recently wrote, one of the examples is from the uh, architecture industry in Canada. They've developed a process called the Integrated Product Delivery. I think it's IPD. Yeah. And it is all that it is all about bringing all the, the, the yeah. key players together. And they're finding it's actually much more efficient to do it that way because you have to go back when there's a change order, right? Again, you're able to sense and respond much more quickly and not have to go all the way back. And it's certainly saving money when you do that. 
So changing people's thinking to recognize the more that you have people in at the beginning and the way they set that up is with a shared sense of values and a real clear sense of what it is they're trying to build toward and how they will recognize what the right answer is when it comes along mm. is actually making the process work all the ways that we wanted it to in the 90s when we took it apart, but actually yeah. realized it works better when you put it back together. So the other question I had out of the, that was when you talked about the way we are moving now towards more automation, more, more things being taken out of our hands. To me, I wondered whether you see that as the developing, in inverted commas, craftsman management. So we have those who are really specialised in a certain type of management, a type of, not so much a type of industry, but a type of management that is perhaps more people-oriented or more systems-oriented or more oriented in in, in just an area where they can be the craftsman, for want of a better word. That's a fascinating way of thinking about it. I haven't heard that term before. And it's really interesting to apply craftsman and management in the same like construct that seems to be like very much an, an oxymoron right there for me. Because what we usually think of as management is, is there's a certain approach and a system that's all designed again to root out variability and to ensure efficiency and consistent delivery that is easy to scale. That has really been, you know, sort of the, the playbook for management and what I would call leadership over the last 20 or 30 years of business. And so the fact that um, you're thinking about it this way, I think that Craftsman is an interesting term. I'm not sure if I would go there, but I do think that there will be so much complexity that we're trying to wrap our brains around that what you know, whether it's around a specific technology. So you're an expert on blockchain and someone else is an expert on the metaverse or spatial computing and somebody else is an expert in what's happening in the changes in medicine. And the fact that they, we can work together more because we then bring those specialties together. I had a chance to, to give a talk to a really very significant pharmaceutical company and they were building a sort of center of excellence and bringing all the smartest people together. And the hardest part was learning to trust that even if I wasn't an expert in this, but you were, that I could trust that you would bring enough to the conversation that I could not have to figure it out for myself. You know what I mean? Like we're used to owning all of the information and making the decisions because we holistically understood things. And now we have to trust that you know more about something than I know and recognize that that's how the team gets stronger is a new capacity that I think we need to develop or undo the ones in the past. So maybe labeling it a craftsman gives us that much more confidence, right? Yeah. And you spent a lot of time thinking about systems and I've spent a lot of time thinking about people management and that together we can come up with a better solution. I love that way of thinking. On that point, so then what you're saying is uh, stop looking at the risk of saying this is mine and I own it and I don't want to bring anyone else's because they might take the credit or whatever, whatever, and they could be two different industries, two different companies, two different bottom lines. You're saying the benefit outweigh all that risk. You all will succeed better if you get together and use each other's skills Yeah, but we also have to recognize that we are individuals that work inside of systems. And if Mm -hmm. the system doesn't support that, then it actually is a very, very difficult thing to do. So for example, I had a friend who uh, was head of global insights for a huge, you know, one of the most famous beverage companies in the world. Mm -hmm. And he was very much a team contributor, right? He he worked in insights. He wanted to give people a lot of information and and was encouraged to inspire them in their work and more be a lateral contributor. But then when he went to annual review time, it was all about what his individual performance was and what his individual Uh, contribution was. And he was compensated and incentivized on individuality and and his his individual performer role. And so if we don't have systems that are congruent with what it is that we're asking people to do in that way, then it is you're leaving it up to the personality of the individual 
individual and the strengths yeah. and skill sets of that person. And that's a tricky way of doing it. I'll just say it aside, there was um, some research that was done in the 70s. And it's a long story, but an organizational development person named David Dow did study brain and brain reward. And there are some people who are naturally inclined to want to share and connect with others. Yes. Um, he calls them type Ns because they want new information and turn other people onto it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are other people who are Ms who take information and want to just get better and better at what they do. And they aren't naturally intrinsically motivated to share. And he felt like you know the, the world was dominated by Ms, like 90 or 95%. And a very few of us are the mm-hmm. ends who want to turn everybody onto it. It's a couple of things that work, right? One, our own individual inclinations and the second is the systems and whether or not they encourage us to show mm-hmm. up that way. But yes, I do believe if you look at everything and, and one of the big models as we think to how to design better for the future is you look at nature and mm-hmm. how other systems, you know, whether it's in the flora and fauna or it's in the insects and the animals, they somehow figured that out better than we have, mm-hmm. right? They, they aren't as parochial like if you like the the big wisdom these days is about trees i don't know if you guys have seen the you know, hidden life of trees and all the conversations happening around trees but trees really yeah. coordinate with each other and they coordinate with the fungi and they coordinate mm. with you know everything else that's around them they don't exist on their own they could never mm. survive on their own so the yeah. better we get at that thinking and the better we get at the, the other piece of it and i told you i warned you all my answers aren't long um, because there's so much that are packed into it but but the individual confidence that you are enough if you don't know all the answers Yes. Right. This is where it's sometimes that stuff I can talk about from the systems level. It's really important that we incentivize that, but it's also on the individual level that yeah. we don't fall in prey to imposter syndrome in yeah. a world in which there's so much changing so fast. And there's no way for us to possibly know everything, which goes back mm-hmm. to the craftsman idea yeah. that Kim just mentioned, which is having confidence that if I learn my bit and I know it as well as I can, and I'm really curious about it, yeah. I can plug into other people's work and together we can come up with a solution, but individually, I cannot be enough yeah. anymore on my own. And mm-hmm. if someone comes in and brings me new information, that doesn't mean that I'm not good enough yes. right? or not worthy or don't know my thing or can't contribute. And I think that's a really big opportunity for us to address at this moment right now. On that note, I think we'll take a break in our discussion with Nancy Giordano. Please join us for part two, where we will continue looking at how we should be managing and strategically thinking into the future. But for now, I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne. We're talking with Nancy Giordano, and this is Inside Exec.